Welcome to the discussion, Good to Great, Lessons for Agencies as They Reopen, sponsored by Splunk. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Frank Domina, the Vice President for Public Sector at Splunk, and Juliana Vita, the Chief Technical Advisor for Public Sector, also at Splunk. Frank, Juliana, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. It's been an incredible past few months for many federal agencies. Mandatory telework stressed their networks, technology infrastructures like never before. Agencies tried to prepare for the surge in telework, but many struggled during the first few weeks of the coronavirus pandemic. Many agencies, however, quickly upgraded their networks, adjusted their approaches to address shortcomings in their telework efforts. Two, two federal news network surveys, about six weeks apart, found much different views of remote working. The survey for March found employees were concerned about VPNs, latency in networks, and the lack of laptops. Six weeks later, we found many of the problems seem to have been solved. In fact, Federal Chief Information Officer Suzette Kent said in early May that the ability to rapidly pivot and transition to this highly digital environment is possible because of recent investments in modern technology, robust and scalable commercial tools, data management practices, cybersecurity enhancements, and automation. With that context in place, let's talk about how agencies made this transformation in such a short amount of time and how they can continue this momentum. Once again, my guests are Frank Demina, the Vice President for Public Sector at Splunk, and Juliana Vita, the Chief Technical Advisor for Public Sector, also at Splunk. Frank, let me start with you. I think there's this massive shift to telework. We've seen that. What are you seeing or what have you seen so far from agencies? Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for the time and the question. I think first off, there's a couple of observations we can share. And, and to start, we need to recognize what a massive effort and project occurred over the past few weeks and months here. And we have huge respect in industry for what our, our federal partners have accomplished. They've been working around the clock to make sure that services are not interrupted, that citizens are supported, whether it's to support healthcare, or take care of our veterans, or get financial assistance out to small businesses. If you take, for instance, what's happened in the DOD, the DOD ensured that over 900,000 of their users were able to set up and use remote access tools. They have a tool called CVR, which is a, a remote access chat video conferencing tool. And they were able, by the end of April, they will have over 900,000, almost a million users using that for remote work. And, and Dana Deasy, the DOD Sierra, said this is the largest rollout ever implemented in this short amount of time. So just think about the skill and effort that it took to pull that off. And it was, it, it was done at a record pace. Um, according to the Washington Post, actually only 40% of federal employees were set up for remote work prior to COVID-19. I think second, what we've seen here is that this was a huge litmus test for business continuity planning. And the past few weeks and months has certainly given, given our partners in government a chance to test their coup plans and make sure that they have the ability to fail over and work from remote sites and test, test out those policies and procedures. And we saw this across public sector. The last few weeks have been a rapid implementation of remote work. And to accomplish that, our public, the public servants are working around the clock, making sure that technology was implemented, tools were in place, procedures were updated. And during the, what I would call this transition period, it's probably two big problem spaces that came up. You mentioned remote work and that massive shift there. So the first issue was how do I enable remote work in the right way? How do I manage the capacity needs of my organization? How do I ensure performance is at acceptable levels? And of course, how do I secure all these users that are now working remotely? And how do I get ahead of problem spots before they occur? Second was the massive uptick and increase in digital demand. What we mean by that, services the government provides, unemployment sites, small business loans, the, the increase in need and, and citizens accessing those services were, exponential, were increased exponentially. So interestingly enough, 
all of these problems, these two in particular, these are data problems. And if I have the right info at my fingertips, I can make rapid, rapid data-driven decisions. And when you step back and you really look at this entire pandemic and the response to it, almost all of the problems we're dealing with, these are data problems. Decision makers need the right data at the right time to make confident decisions in carrying out the mission. Frank, I think you bring up a very interesting point about the, the, these problems are really data problems. It goes back to how many do you need? Laptops, VPN access, licenses. It also goes back to, okay, what's the digital services that citizens are gonna be using and what's the, if you will, volume that it can handle and can it handle, how do we increase the volume? Because if, if uh, you know, the president tweets out sba.gov, which he did, and they saw something like a 6,000% increase in the number of users hitting that site, they'd have to automatically go up. They have to know that that's happening. Mm -hmm. Do you think the agencies came around to understanding how important that data piece was to making these decisions? Well, I think it's certainly a journey and we are seeing signs of that. Uh, I would say the first few weeks, even the month of March, everyone was in triage mode, not just government uh, employees, but even industry partners and those supporting the government. We we're all trying to figure out how to move fast and support this massive shift to the new way of working. Um, I think after the initial, that initial triage mode, folks were realizing that data can play a great value here. But I can understand uh, which of my remote access sites are getting too many users at one time, I can better balance my user load. That's just a simple uh, data call where I can have the right information as a decision maker to reallocate resources. Or am I hitting capacity in a certain part of the country? Or have I overinvested at some points and I can shift those resources to other parts of the network where, where help is needed? So we did see that shift and start to increase and I think that journey is progressing. Over the past few weeks, we've been working with many uh, federal, state, local, even education partners in public sector to help them leverage data to address some of the challenges that are coming up in the light of this pandemic. Juliana, jump in here because I think one of the big things that agencies are seeing today and we'll see is this demand for services. Yeah, and uh, Frank covered a lot of it and I really appreciate his point about this was a litmus test for the uh, continuity plans that organizations had in place. Uh, I would, you know, say it was more like a pop quiz and a practical exam at the same time. Um, for a lot of these policies and plans that have been in play, they've been on the shelf, they get tested every now and then, but this was, you know, show up one day and the teacher's like, okay, go do it. And a lot of them have been successful, um, struggling at first, chaos at first, but, but the ones that have been successful, to Suzette, Kent's, to Suzette Kent's point, are the ones that had the modern technology in place and specifically um, cloud and shared services in place to allow them to be agile, to allow them to pivot and, um, and scale to the need that they, to the extent that they needed to. Um, and honestly, you know, there's a lot of other politics and dynamics going on all the time in across the government and in agencies that I've been happy to see hasn't really gotten in the way, um, in the way that it has maybe in the past. I come from a career as a military officer and then a civil servant, um, eventually as a, at a deputy CIO level for the Navy. And I, I know the pain of wanting to get things done. People having the heart and the passion to let's move forward and execute the mission. Oh, but we have this policy in place or uh, whatever, you know, hurdle that they need to uh, need to jump over that isn't technology related. And honestly, I think that's been a good lesson learned from this COVID response is that some agencies aren't 
aren't letting those barriers get in the way because they can't. You know, the workforce is working remotely. Citizens do have increased demand. The increase in services has skyrocketed specifically for certain agencies. Of course, you know, healthcare, telehealth, telemedicine, small business with loans, et cetera. And when you think back to 2013, when HHS rolled out the healthcare.gov site for the, to support the Affordable Care Act, they at least had some preparation. They knew that was coming. They had time to prepare. In this case, federal agencies didn't necessarily have that. And we went from zero to 60 pretty quickly in the United States, particularly on the East Coast, you know, as the, as the uh, pandemic rolled from, from West to East. And so to Frank's point, we've been pretty proud to see a lot of the agencies stepping up, but, but now it's time to find the balance. It's find a time to find the balance between meeting those citizen expectations, delivering services, and maintaining a healthy and safe workplace for employees, which data can also support. You know, we're, we're showing customers how to leverage their data, use dashboards to make decisions in a way that keeps their workforce health, healthy and safe while also meeting the succeeding demand for services. You bring up the kind of looking forward a little bit around reopening. We're starting to hear some of that. Before we go there, though, I want to just take a half a step back. And Juliana, one of the things that agencies have done is adjust. And I think you, you brought this up as going from zero to 60 that first month. Uh, I think maybe Frank mentioned was triage. You mentioned it as a pop quiz and into a full on exam. But give me a sense of how agencies are adjusting and what, what lessons they're learning. And, and can those lessons have staying power? Right. Um, some of the lessons that we've seen agencies learn are, I like to go back to, I like to throw out adages. So, you know, the old uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, in this case, necessity is the mother of modernization. And for those agencies who already had modern environments, i.e. cloud environments, or were already leveraging shared services, the lesson is they're doing better. They were able to pivot faster, deliver services more quickly um, and more reliably. And honestly, um, state governments, I, I know largely the audience is federal, but I think the states are a good place to look. They don't have a bigger budget than federal governments do, agencies do, but many of them have talked about investments that they made in the past in cloud and shared services have now turned out to be, they're glad they made those investments. Specifically, I'll, I'll mention the state of Mississippi. You know, after Hurricane Katrina, which is now many years ago, uh, and then in the, in the Great Recession, as they call it, they decided it's time to make the investment in cloud. And that allowed them to put their unemployment insurance benefit tool in the cloud as, as a cloud service. Well, that came in really handy when COVID hit and they already had that in place. They didn't have the, um, the citizens waiting around for their unemployment checks as a lot of other states did. And other states are on that list as well, talking very openly and publicly about, thank God we made these investments in cloud and shared services then because they're helping us now. So those really are the big lessons. Uh, those who modernized are doing well, and those who didn't are still struggling to maintain a basic, I would say a basic level of delivering service and executing on a mission. Your point about Mississippi is a great one because you're, you're, there's been a ton of stories about agencies and, and state agencies who are really struggling with the COBOL and, and pulling people out of retirement because they don't have enough you know, programmers who know COBOL. And here's a, a state like Mississippi that you know, maybe doesn't get a lot of positiveness around it, its, its, its services it provides or, or the, the challenges it faces. But here's, that's, a, that's a great story. And at the same time, 
I think from the federal perspective, I think Congress has also noticed that, hey, if you invest in IT modernization, you see a bigger benefit. And there's some letters from uh, Senator Maggie Hassan regarding that that just came out recently as well. Uh, Frank, jump back into the conversation a little bit sure. and talk about uh, something that agencies maybe started to see really big benefits is, is automation here and, and how automation can really help them pick up those areas that maybe people had to do at one point, but now it's really making things easier. Sure. A couple observations, uh, and I hope to be as profound as Juliana here. I think from the lens of our, of our partners in government, um, first off, I think there is a new perspective on the value of SaaS-based technologies, cloud-based uh, offerings beyond just the hard costs and manpower. Um, cloud use was already accelerating across government, but I think what, what we've seen the last few weeks has been a steroid injection to that exercise. Um, government organizations that, that had a cloud migration strategy and process and that were already enacting it were able to much were able to pivot much faster in, into adjusting to what COVID is demand and why um, cloud ensure they had no interruption of services they did not have to refactor their tools or their processes or just their people's day to day work process or work streams and they also able to scale up as these increases in digital demand and users working from home uh, required new capacity. Those tools, those cloud-based approaches allow them to increase scaling with just a few clicks. They didn't have to wait on hardware procurements or data center space. So I think one of the first takeaways here from the government perspective is that there's a lot more value potentially in the way we look at some of these cloud SaaS-based offerings and that cloud benefits are not always about cost. It's about agility, redundancy, and resilience and scalability. Um, I think from a vendor perspective, I'm going to answer your question on automation, but I think from a vendor perspective, there's a lesson learned too as well. If you want to work with the government, if you want the help, or you have a solution that can help the government, it must be something that is actionable. It must be, as some folks have, have talked about, shovel ready. Um, the government is, folks are working round the clock. They're so busy. They don't have time to talk about what might be possible or can we build something in a few years. Right now, they're looking for solutions they can implement. They're not looking to, to take on another system to maintain. I think there's a fatigue across government for science projects. So a lesson learned from my friends in industry is come to the table with a solution that's ready to implement. Um, lastly, on automation, there is a huge opportunity here for the government to gain productivity gains through automation. And automation takes many forms. Some of that is just simple automation tools that folks have done in the past in IT like scripts. But what we're talking about here really is the next level automation based on tools like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And this has many use cases and applications that can be in cyber and how we can improve cybersecurity and, and enable more free time for our analysts in IT help desk. How can I automate responses to common issues so I don't have to have a help desk person go visit a user or how I run my knock? Are there tools or, or playbooks I can run to avoid having someone come into a data center? So automation is actually very important right now to helping our government uh, partners and, and executives deal with the lack of folks on site and the issues that are coming up. All right, Frank, plenty there more to talk about, but first we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to the discussion, Good to Great, Lessons for Agencies as They Reopen, sponsored by Splunk on Federal News Network. 
Public sector leaders today have to constantly make decisions at speeds their missions demand. Any errors can be costly. While this may seem daunting, innovators are leveraging data to overcome their challenges. Splunk's Data to Everything D2E platform drives fast, confident decisions and decisive actions through powerful, real-time insights to ensure mission success. Turn data into doing with Splunk. Learn how at splunk.com slash public sector. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Good to Great, Lessons for Agencies as They Reopen, sponsored by Splunk on Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. My guests today are Frank Demina, the Vice President for Public Sector at Splunk, and Juliana Vita, the Chief Technical Advisor for Public Sector, also at Splunk. Now, Frank, Juliana, before break, we're talking a little bit about the buildup during the, the COVID uh, uh, pandemic, the, the challenges, the surges agencies faced. We're starting, now we're talking about reopening, and, and several agencies have announced their plans to reopen. Several agencies have announced even employees coming back. So Frank, start us off. What should agencies keep in mind as they start to reopen, as uh, employees and, and, and contractors start to come back? It's a great question. Something actually we've been spending a lot of time at Splunk thinking about and making sure that we have the right strategy to help our, our partners on. A couple of thoughts there. First, as we talked about, there's going to be continued acceleration of cloud migration and SaaS adoption. Just in fact, in May of last year, Bloomberg government reported that federal agencies were planning to move about 270 IT programs to the cloud. If you take that same survey in April of 2020, that number is up to over 1,800. So I think there is an acceleration and a change where people are seeing the value. Why? For all the reasons that we already discussed. And I think for the government leaders that are listening, there's going to be a, is a good opportunity to relook your decisions, your plans for the rest of this fiscal year, and can I accomplish that mission or solution by taking a SaaS or cloud approach? Um, second, I think we're going to be looking at, at workers in a work from home scenario for quite some time. It will likely be extended. So what type of tools do they need to continue and be functional and, and product, productive in that manner? Um, mobile and remote user interfaces. Those will be key requirements to support our remote workers going forward and not assume that the folks using our tools and our solutions will be sitting in an office. But I think lastly, and the most important question is, how can I leverage data to get folks back to work safely as things start to open up? And this is not just a government uh, challenge. This is an education. This is, a, this is a challenge for education institutions and public school systems as well. I and mean, we're working with several of those organizations. And an example of that is just how can I use data that I'm already collecting to support this? Wi-Fi data is a great example. I can use my Wi-Fi data to look at where do a lot of folks tend to congregate during the day? And then based on that information, I know I can apply my cleaning resources to maybe to, to ensure a little extra cleaning or disinfecting of those areas where folks tend to congregate. So again, approaching this with a data-driven model lets me use my scarce or limited resources in a better, more efficient way to help folks get back to work safely. Juliana, one of the things that we've seen, and I think Frank brought up, is this con continued acceleration to cloud and, and, and software as a service. I'd be interested to see if GAO or somebody does a report eventually to tell us, you know, in, in fiscal 2020, the use of cloud jumped by X percent. What are you hearing from agencies around cloud services and, and why, why is beyond the, the obvious reasons, why do you think there's this move that people are, are seeing the value today more than ever? Well, what I, what I think is that as we listen to 
now we're starting to hear more webinars and more people come out of the woodwork a little bit out of the initial uh, chaos of what do we do leaders are starting to talk about their experience and they're starting to share exactly how they've been successful using cloud technologies using modern you know modern it tools and and products um and we talked earlier about a, a state government example but um recently in um in the press, the CIO of the Department of Transportation talked specifically about how they were able to shift quickly to support their remote workforce because, again, they had already made investments in modern IT tools and products, including cloud, including shared services. So I think that as they start to share their lessons, honestly, it's as simple as listening to what peer CIOs and peer agencies are doing and have done and just replicate that. and um, and basically take the the guidance that's already out there in terms of the cloud smart policy and and other guiding documents and now is the time to through a different lens of practical application look at oh that's what that meant i should go do that i should go invest in technology and again back to the message of those who have invested in cloud and are using cloud are seeing um improved results and they're talking about it so listen to them and um and and take their you know take their lead in, um, in investing in the cloud technology that can help get through the rest of the crisis and beyond. As Frank said, we're starting to talk to them about what do you do next? Well, what you do next is build upon what you've done now during COVID and don't lose the momentum. Don't, we can't go back. I think you make a great point of, of don't lose the momentum. I hear that time and again, not just from industry, but even within the, the government. And, and Frank, that, that's a great segue to, to bring you back into the discussion about there are agencies that definitely, and what are you hearing from your customers more specifically that needs help and, and where are the opportunities in the future? So I think there's, there's two ways to look at that uh, and a, a tactical way and a more strategic approach. Um, first off, um, there's a lot of tools out today that can help us uh, um, compensate for the fact that folks are not in an office or not at their desk and may not have access to all the resources they would in an office. And, and we've talked about a little bit already, and that's automation tools. There are tools for automation and cyber, and we're working with some federal partners where they're using these tools to completely automate the handling and response of what are called tier one events. Those are, are lower issue, less complicated cyber events that are happening. Phishing is a great example. When phishing happens at an organization, there tends to be a very um, um, repeatable uh, process-driven response to those phishing events and how to handle them. So by automating those events, you gain productivity by freeing up your analysts. Most folks that I know do not have enough skilled cyber analysts. So if I can free up their time so they can concentrate on higher tier events, I'm getting more from my resources, I'm keeping folks happy, I'm avoiding burnout, and I'm doing that through automation tools to, to, to be more productive. Um, from a strategic perspective, I think there's a real opportunity here, and what we've been talking about in, in the past few minutes is about making data more accessible and usable by everyone. And, and when we look at this with another lens, something I've personally spoken about in the past is this is a chance for increasing data democracy. And what we mean by that, this is a chance for making data more open and more usable by more people or putting data to work for or the citizens of this country. I think the best way that data can be used by government right now is by enabling the frontline workers with access to data so they can make decisions in real time. And, and ultimately what this means for public sector, state, local, uh, federal, is that you're giving, uh, you're taking a data driven approach for every job function. 
I'm not talking about spending more money on tools. This can be just leveraging data that's already collected. And I'll live, end with an example, right? Most federal organizations are collecting and, re and reporting badge data. Uh, when employees badge in and out of facilities, that same data can be reused right now to help folks get back to work in terms of, of, of exposure tracking, right? If an employee self-reports that someone has been exposed to COVID, I can leverage that badge data that is used for physical security to also know what other employees were they around and with at work and that may have been exposed. And that's an example of how we can gain more value from our data and expose that to government workers to be smarter, more efficient and make better decisions. Joanna, one of the things we hear a lot, the term new normal, and I think that's one of those terms that people maybe get a little tired of, but it's the fact of life. What do you think, you know, as you look back over the last couple of months, what are some of those quote unquote new normal activities that, that will endure that agencies can really continue to take advantage of whether or not we get past this initial and, and long-term COVID challenge? Yeah, great question, Jason. And um, it's one of the things that as, as Frank and I, as others across Splunk have been engaging with customers and helping them and keeping our ears to the ground, we've kind of focused on a couple big buckets of what we think will endure. Um, and those are, Enterprise-wide remote work and distance learning, to a different extent maybe, but that that is survey after survey, report after report, and conversation after conversation shows all, most, mostly all, uh, customers and agencies are going to keep remote work in place to some degree, which is larger than it was before. Now, certain organizations and missions can't be done when remotely, we know that. But again, going back to previously held assumptions and barriers, we've seen that people have realized that a lot of those barriers were false. A lot of those assumptions were false. And we can actually do a lot more remotely than we thought before. Um, so increased or, or continued remote work and distance learning, that's one. Another one that's going to be enduring is just a different workplace transformation, let's call it. It's kind of a take on remote work, but how people engage in the workplace, how important it is to maintain um, social interaction even when you have to be remote. I think some of those things we all took for granted before if we were going into the office every day, how important those personal interactions are. So we're going to see that continue, just a different way of how Americans go to work, what we think about when we say going to work. And the third one is, like Frank pointed out, just a continued accelerated digital transformation, not just in the IT shop, not just from the CIO, but across all the business functions and mission areas. Um, in fact, one relationship that we're seeing kind of become more um, front and center and more important than, than we've talked about in the past is the relationship with between the CIO or the CTO, the technical people and the HR folks the CHRO, because as we talk about what's good for people, what's healthy for people, well, that, that can often be an HR function. And I would say historically, those two, those two C-level C leaders and their teams haven't really engaged that much, and now they are. And it's fantastic, because that will truly drive a new way of looking at digital transformation across the entire organization to the human level, to the personal individual level. All right, we got less than one minute left. So I'm going to ask you both to be very concise here. What's the one piece of advice? I'm going to ask for one, Frank. One piece of advice that you'd give to agencies as they kind of move out, as they get closer to reopening, as they get closer back to normal operations. Yeah, thanks. I was speaking with one federal CEO recently who said that if you haven't reworked or reprioritized your cloud migration strategy, you're going to fail. And Juliana, you get the last word. 
listen to your chief data officer. Everything we've talked to about today, problems and solutions are about data and they can help you. Excellent. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So let me thank my guests. Frank Domina is the Vice President for Public Sector at Splunk, and Juliana Vita is the Chief Technical Advisor for Public Sector also at Splunk. Frank, Juliana, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Good to Great, Lessons for Agencies as They Reopen, sponsored by Splunk on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Splunk. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Good to Great, Lessons for Agencies as They Reopen, sponsored by Splunk on Federal News Network.